0: To click on the Gabby Williams we prayed for last week. Yeah. Uh, she had surgery Tuesday. Her channel was benign and she's already at home. Oh, so, great. Yeah. Well, that's good news in the midst of all the bad for sure. Wonderful. Well, obviously, I'm in Mark chapter 7. And, um,. There's a phrase here that we read that I love. It simply says, He has done all things well. This event, the specifics of this event, are recorded only by Mark. Now Matthew records the whole scene. In fact, this is what Matthew says about the scene itself. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee... Went up on a mountain, sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And then Mark zooms in on this one specific um, miracle. This particular person, Countless miracles done in countless ways. John says, in fact, everything Jesus did wasn't recorded. There's not enough books to record everything he actually did. But marks off fit to include this one. He pulls it out, and it ends with his profound confession that he has done all things well. This is the multitude regarding Jesus that say this. He does make both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And Mark, you might recall, is writing to Gentiles in the midst of persecution. And he's offering proof that Jesus, this Jesus, is the Christ of God. And he is the promised Messiah of the Jews, but also for the whole world. So Jesus has been on this journey outside the borders of Israel into Gentile land, offering hope to the Gentiles, which would be uh, people like us, those who are not Jews. And he's making this point that this Messiah is the Messiah. This is the light of men that we've been seeing in the Old Testament prophets being prophesied. There would be this light to the Gentiles. There would be this real, true one sent from God who would build a people for himself, this new race where there is no longer a Jew or Gentile, this church. So Mark really wants his readers to grasp this truth so much so that he pulls out these particular instances like this. in this particular man who was deaf and struggling with an impediment in his speech. In the S V here, the phrase impediment in his speech is just one word in the Greek New Testament. And it's a word that sounds like you have an impediment in your speech when you say it. It means literally speaking with difficulty and it suggests that this man wasn't born this way. This is something that he developed later in his life. It's the only time that it's used in the New Testament, but it's used once in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in the passage that Ryan read to us in Isaiah 35. You may recall he just read this portion, Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. And Isaiah 35 is obviously a picture of the day of Christ and the day in which we live and the, the, the future of Messiah. He says, God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb or the one with a speech impediment, this same word, He will sing. And so... In his own way, Mark chose a reference that his Jewish readers would have definitely recognized and possibly the Gentiles too, he's making a point this is this is the one who Isaiah talked about, the one who would come and fix the impediment of speech. He does all things well. Folks are being brought to him here, and he heals not just Jews but Gentiles. Because he is the God of both Jew and Gentile. In fact, if you back up a little in Mark here, you'll find this interesting story where this lady who is a Gentile makes a statement, something like, uh, "eating even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Just proving the fact that though Jesus spreads the table for the Jews by his grace, that same grace overflows off the table onto the Gentiles as well. And it's interesting to see that Jesus takes every much concern and time with these Gentiles as he does with any Jew. In fact, notice what he does here in our passage. He takes this specific man who has this impediment of speech and he is also deaf and he takes him aside. Takes him aside, showing great care and concern but also separating him from all the modern day faith healers he doesn't need a crowd and he doesn't need anybody to see what's happening. He's taking this man aside to not call attention to the man or himself. Doesn't make a spectacle out of his miracle. He doesn't make a spectacle out of this poor soul either. Jesus didn't need the attention. It's interesting too, by the way, isn't it? That now in the day of cell phone cameras and social media, it's not near as much... Uh, of these miraculous healings going on and people growing back legs and all these things now that there's somebody there to video it. There's way less of it uh, being talked about. But Jesus didn't do what he did for any sideshow or any attention. He entered into this man's world and he used unusual means to begin this miracle. I would say at least he uses unnatural means. He put his finger into his ears and then the scriptures are kind of it's not that they're vague here it's hard to tell what exactly after spitting he touched his tongue if you read different translations that he may have spat on his hand and touched his tongue or spat on his tongue I don't really know I don't think there's any uh, any indication that we're supposed to try to do anything like this to anybody and, so, uh, and there are people that are doing things like this so that's why I point that out I saw on social media this week uh, a pastor who has done that very kind of thing that I don't think it's supposed to be emulated here. It's just uh, the the method that Jesus chose and um, it doesn't explain to us why. But he put his finger into his ear and spinning touched his tongue and then he looks up into heaven. I think so that we know where this miracle was coming from. And so this man would know where this miracle was coming from. So he too wouldn't be sidetracked by this being some uh, show apart from God. He wanted this man and anybody that was on looking and for us reading to know this came from the Father. And then we're told, He looked up into heaven and sighed. Deeply groaning. That's what this word means. It's a word that is used for us as believers when our souls long for and crave the blessing of the world to come. The one that Isaiah was speaking of. This time when Messiah would be with His people and we would be with Him. It's a place very deep inside. Romans 8.23 says it this way. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we... Ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption of the redemption of our body. It's that same word. Second Corinthians 5.2 For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. And later in verse 4 For we who are in this tent groan being burdened not because we want to be unclothed but further clothed so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. I love that passage. I, I read that every time I do a funeral because I think what a more perfect time to mention this. This is what this is how Christians live. We want to be here and be a part of what God has called us to be, and we don't we don't live so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good or whatever it's been said. But we do eagerly groan and yearn for that. Not that we're gonna be taking off something so much as we're gonna be putting something on. And so I think it's really a cool thing here that Jesus identifies with us so much in this. And the Bible puts this word in play for us later that Jesus groaned somewhere deep inside him. Whatever he's about to do, it matters deeply. And it's what he's, it's part of his purpose. Just like for us, being with God one day and for all eternity is part of our purpose, our, our, our inward being yearns and groans for it do you not do we all not groan and yearn for it? yeah we, we're like paul uh, it's better for you that i'm here for now so i guess I, I i need to be here but man i long for the day when i'm i'm somewhere else and i don't have to hear about these things like cancer anymore right and i don't have to hear about sickness and death and lying and thieving and stealing and i don't have to deal with my own doggone fleshly self anymore that's going to be an awesome thing so yes i need to think about that more but we all yearn and long for that we groan for it and then jesus of course speaks be open and the results there are no choice for the results but for his ears to be open the same as there was no result for lazarus to come forth from the tomb other than to come forth when jesus said come forth The same is the result for you when you heard the gospel and you knew that Jesus was calling you to be saved by the Spirit through the gospel. There's no choice but to say, Yes, Lord. As we saw with Saul, who kicked against the goads for many years until the Lord came and called him specifically. And the only response was, Yes, Lord. This man's ears are open The impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Sometimes trying to figure out what what do we really get from this? What should we take from it? Um, I'll share with you the, the few things I wrote down. The Spirit is the teacher who may teach you a lot of things that I'm not able to see and hear and think about right now. But one, verse 32, I think it's important to see a burden for people. At evening, back in Mark chapter 1, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Later in Mark chapter 2, they, they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And I read to you Matthew's account of this scene. They're just bringing people, bringing people. It leaves me often when I read these passages under the overwhelming conviction of why am I not more eager to bring people to Jesus? In a, in a serious matter. Why am I not more eager? Do I really believe, and, and I know the answer to this before I ask, do I believe that Jesus will do for people what these people believe He would do for them? Oftentimes, I'm not sure I really believe that. I need help believing that. Because sometimes I think, oh, they're too far gone. They're not going to hear. They don't want this. Whatever it is that passes through my mind. But man, when I read stuff like Mark 2, really all of Mark's account here of Jesus' ministry here on earth, the woman who touched the hem of his garment, just to see that faith that if I can just either myself get to Christ or if I can get others to him. He'll change them. Now for them, there was physical healing. Yeah, they needed to be not blind. They needed to be able to hear. They needed This man needed an impediment of speech gone. And God does those things whenever His will is for that to be done. But I think the thing for us to be reminded of is that what people need the most, Jesus will do, and He's the only one that can. When we bring people to Christ, whatever way we can, whether it's just speaking to them, where we meet them, or we physically... Uh, literally invite them to come and hear the gospel, or we share with them ourselves the gospel, we open the word and read, we need to be reminded that just as much and as real as Jesus can fix a man whose speech was impeded for most of his life, but not all, who maybe was deaf for all of his life, the lane that were made to walk He can save those who are lost and he will to the uttermost we're told man I just um, sometimes myself I need a better bigger greater burden for people and I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip on you and say it's your fault people are going to hell or any of that craziness I mean just the honest sincere God I just need a burden to be reminded that this is what you do you heal people. Ultimately you heal people of their greatest disease and that disease is sin. All of us could just use that burden more often. It's easy to get weighed down with everything that's going on, making a living, raising kids, being a husband, being a pastor, being whatever you do at work. All those things and sometimes you just forget that, man, people need Christ. If they don't get Him, I mean, we believe this, right? If they don't get Christ, they are going to be in the place that we just read about earlier in our catechism. They will be in a physical, literal place called hell. And that's not good to think about. So I appreciate you every week, some of you reminding us, hey, pray for lost people that we know. Pray for those who don't know Christ. Yes. we Again, we, we, we forget about that, don't we? we? We pray for everybody's sickness, which is important. We pray for healing. We pray for the people we know that are burdened But we need to be reminded to pray for those who we know who are lost without Christ. Many of you know a lot of people. Many of you, I know you do. You pray for that often because you have people close to you. Our faith needs to be strengthened. And just to see the salvation of the Lord. This man's speech was unclear. He spoke with difficulty. Again, that's exactly where people are spiritually. They can't hear the word; they're deaf. Therefore, they wouldn't speak it, and they obviously don't act on it because they're, they're, it might as well—they might as well be deaf and have a speech impediment because they can't hear it and they wouldn't speak it. And that's where we all were at one time: unable to hear, unable to respond. that's why we preach the gospel by the way that's what God told him. Paul, God, Paul God told Paul I'm going to send you to this place so that you can preach the gospel that you might open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me you remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus walking with the resurrected Lord, but they didn't know because their eyes were blinded there. They couldn't see that it was him until he had banished. And of course, he spoke to them some words that opened their heart. And then they said, "Did did not our heart burn within us when he talked with us on the road and when he opened the scriptures to us? That's the hope of preaching. The hope of preaching is that God will open your eyes and open your heart So that you can hear the things that are spoken by God, not by the preacher. Remember Lydia in Acts chapter 16, the cellar of purple, the Bible says clearly, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken of by Paul. It's the same word used here when we're told that Jesus opened his or his ears were opened. The same word when God opens people's hearts to hear the gospel just as this man was not physically right and no hope available for him to get right until God opened his ears and his speech cleared up man we know this don't we, we just need to be reminded of it until people's ears spiritually are opened their eyes the scales fall off their heart that is a heart of stone is turned into a heart of flesh which would be pliable they can't think right they can't speak right and they can't act right man I know it makes you angry like it does me when I look around and I see people think it's no big deal to murder their infants they think it's no big deal to be sexually immoral they think it's no big deal to lie, cheat, steal all the things that any of us are capable of but the world says this is just the way it is and you need to accept it and you bunch of religious people need to get over yourselves you can't tell us what to do but we are really to be burdened and heartbroken for this fact. They can't think right. They can't see correctly. And they certainly will not act right. And so there again, that burden that God needs to give to us for people. And it's hard. I'm with you. I know what the Bible says about pray for your leaders. Sometimes my prayer for them is more like David's prayers. Imprecatory. Lord, can't you just move them like way to another world to another life you know my prayers are not always lord redeem them sometimes thankfully the lord convicts me of that and i'm reminded hey you know what my leaders need you know what those people need they need jesus and they need to be changed and be redeemed and then they probably have to quit politics because i don't know how you could be redeemed and be a politician any longer at least at the highest levels it seems to be difficult and hard at best some of our um, local, they could learn from some of our local politicians who actually can be a politician and be saved and do what's right. That's a good thing. See, we got one right here, so I have to be careful. I don't want to say something. Uh, I remember one time I, um, I got in a hurry preaching, um, and I said something like, there'll be no doctors in heaven. And later somebody said, I want to rethink how you said that because we got three doctors in the congregation. <laughs> So I had to go back and correct that. I meant there'll be no need for doctors to practice in heaven, but some of them are saved and they will be in heaven. I didn't mean that. So same thing is true about. I want to be careful not to say uh, put everybody in one category. I would never put Ryan in the category of uh, the people I was just talking about. So, but um, for sure, be a long car ride Yeah, <laughs> but until people's ears are open, their eyes are open, their hearts. Are Made pliable, they'll never think any differently and, and you know I, I, I believe that the gospel is powerful enough to do that the gospel is powerful enough to change anything if it can make a blind man see and a deaf man hear a man whose speech is impeded to clear up the lame to walk then he can fix even um, even the mess that we're in as a nation and sometimes I forget, again I forget that sometimes I become uh, too pessimistic and in doing so um, I may sell the gospel short and God is able to do what he wants to do and I think these passages remind us of that and so we ought to do just what these people did afterwards and that is to proclaim the salvation of the Lord the man couldn't speak but once he could he was told not to but did anyway And this happens often. I love that. He was told not to speak. But one time he couldn't speak. Then when he could speak, he was told not to, but he did anyway. We're told to speak, and we can, but sometimes we don't. The word here for proclaim they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He's done all things well. The more he charged them to be quiet, the more zealously they proclaimed it. It's the word that's often translated preach. The more Jesus said, uh, don't tell this, and I don't know everything behind why he told people not to say things. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that his time was not yet, Mm -hmm. and the people were going to come and try to make him some kind of king, earthly king. But I love the fact that even when they went out and did, he didn't rebuke them. Because... If you've been changed like this you can help you, as the one man said in John I think chapter 9 I, I but can help speak the things that the Lord has done. I, I have to proclaim this. And they did. They preached it. That's what the word is. They, they went out and proclaimed it. The same word that was used for John the Baptist when he came preaching saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus says to us as you go preach saying the kingdom is at hand it doesn't treat me this blatant command to not do something but they do it and now we're in a we're in a time where everything is free for us to proclaim it in fact we've been instructed now go and do this preach the gospel to all the world Make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. And maybe that's the reason, part of the reason this is here. Hey, we've been set free by God to go and tell these things. To bring others along with us. To seek God to give us more faith. And understanding so we can pro- proclaim the good news that's why we're here that's why that's why God has put this together for us to do that and so may he help us do it and be reminded that he will do what he says he will do not everybody we bring not everybody that we preach the gospel to will be saved but people will be saved that's his promise. And I think he's a good enough God and has proven himself that he can be trusted with who gets saved. We just need to proclaim the gospel so that people will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, I ask that you would give us more faith to believe the things that we read and not just dismiss them so easily and give us great burdens, all the things we've talked about for people remind us that you are able to save to the uttermost. You can save anybody, and you have. And the truth is, it it takes no more power or no more grace to save the most wicked among us than it did to save any of us. And that's the grand and glorious news. That what Christ did on the cross is sufficient. All of His work and obedience is sufficient to save any sinner so remind us of that give us grace as we go out God give us opportunities and open our mouths may we not be found with a speech impediment but rather may our tongues be loosed to speak the truth of the gospel with great fervor as much as those four men in Mark chapter 2 who brought their friend to Jesus he climbed up on the roof with him and lowered him down through the roof so that Jesus could touch him and heal him. We need that kind of fervor, and um, often we lack it. So we trust you to give it to us in Jesus' name. Amen.